everybody. Uh, welcome back to the program. I'm Ryan McGuigan, and this is the Renewed Life Podcast. And today joining me is uh, Kathy Cowanbaugh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Kathy. I've uh, spent, I've probably spent 20 minutes trying to figure out how to pronounce your name. It's okay. It's Tonbaugh, but you're not the only one. It's, uh, it's not an easy name to, to deal with, so... <laughs> The Compassionate Antidote, A Path to Change for You and Your Child Struggling with Substance Use. Kathy's passion for empowering parents stems from her own journey with a child substance abuse. Her expertise is grounded in a science-based program with over 40 years of support uh, of clinical research, which she uses to equip parents with the skills needed to motivate and support their teens or young adults on the path to change. And welcome, Kathy. It's wonderful to have you uh, on the program. Uh, your um, your your personal journey uh, into becoming a certified parent coach, focusing on uh, helping parents with struggling teens. Uh, how did that start for you? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Um, it well, it started for me with my own personal family experience. I. I uh, had two, I have three kids and I have two out of the three that at different points in their life struggled with substance use. Uh, so we went through uh, the whole treatment program with my daughter, uh, sober living, um, all of that. That entails, you know, figuring all of that out. Um, and then my son uh, chose a different route of going through um, counts, just a counseling for a long time. And so they both had become, you know, a marijuana was an issue, crystal meth was an issue, and I honestly at the time was totally taken by surprise, as most parents I think when you're not dealing with, you have no idea what to do, how to handle it, what, you know, what's the next step, a lot of fear, all of that kind of thing. Um, but as it went on, <clears throat> as it went on, I attended, <clears throat> excuse me, um, meetings with other parents, and I learned you know, some skills that way. And then I really just, the whole issue, I think, just affected me because I just started starting seeing all these families. And many of the parents were loving parents trying to do the best they could. These were not necessarily dysfunctional families. They were, mm. and even then, I mean, it, you know, problems happen, but they were mainly parents that were just trying their best. And these kids were uh, using substances, including my own. So after a certain period of time, I'd been a teacher for many years and I was at the point where my, I had stopped teaching and so I just was kind of looking for a project and really just decided to start a website and reach out to parents, share whatever I knew, um, just to kind of see where that would go. And then uh, I became involved with the Partnership to End Addiction. They found me, I think I left a comment okay. somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, so they found me and... Uh, I became part of their parent program, which was at the time, and this was like 2012, this is a while ago, um, doing work with them. And then uh, the next step was I really wanted to start coaching. I thought that would be a nice way. I was kind of behind the computer all the time, and I thought it'd be a nice way to talk to parents and you know work with them that way. So I was starting my own private coach training program, and then they reached out and said, would you like to be part of our this craft training? It's Community Reinforcement Family Training that we're going to do with the Center for Motivation Change. Would you like to you know, come to New York and get trained? And so I and several other, I think there's 11 of us, parents went. 
And it was the first time we had ever heard anything along the lines of, you know, helping your child. I mean, I had gone to Al-Anon, which had been very helpful in many yeah, ways. Okay. Um, I had learned, you know, how to take care of myself, how to, um, you know, there's, you know, don't enable those kinds of things. But when I went to the craft, then all of a sudden you were given skills. Okay, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you can talk to your children. This is, or any family. Craft is for any family member. It's not just, but I focus on parents, but it's for spouses or anybody. Uh, So I was, you know, like a whole, a door open for all of us. Like, oh my gosh, there's another way of doing this, you know, and there's not just necessarily one path. I mean, sometimes the, certain paths work for some people, but other people need different approaches, you know? So, yeah, so that's how I became involved. And I just, you know, uh, coached with the partnership for a number of years, um, became involved with the um, Center for Motivation and Change. And then they offered just a couple of years ago, do you, you know, uh, the invitation to change, which is an extension of craft uh, that they were doing training and certifying people. And then we could start our own groups, you know? So that was the whole point of that. You can become trained in it and you can start groups for people. So I went that route too. So, you know, I've become very involved with both of the organizations over time, which they're both wonderful organizations helping people. So, so, um, you in, in your book, the compassionate antidote, you, you talk about, uh, this, this framework or, or craft and, um, for, oh, there's a lot of people, at least, um, in my community that are not familiar with craft. So could you give us a, 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 uh, just sort of broad strokes, uh, overview of, of the craft framework itself? Sure. Um, craft, first of all, is for family members. So it's for parents, uh, spouses, you know, you might be concerned about your parent, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. any, any family member. And the idea is that first of all, um, every side, yeah, everyone's different. There's not just one approach that coming to the problem with more compassion and kindness can really get you further along then, you know, for parents, I think a lot of us get into the discipline mold, mold, you know, role and we want to discipline our kids or, you know, we start the yelling and the screaming and the emotions, you know, because we're scared. We, you know, you don't know what to do and you feel like this is really bad behavior and it needs to yeah. be responded with really, you know, parents being upset, that kind of thing. But it helps you just sort of stop. I think craft helps you just sort of take a pause, step back. Really look, first of all, at the root of the problem. You know, as you know, you know, substance use is just a reflection of an inner problem that somebody's having. And so it's, it's a way to cope. It's a way to, you know, numb some, you know, numb out your issues or whatever you're using it for. So it helps parents to sort of sit back and first, before you start in on what you're trying to do to help to just try to figure out what the problem is, to understand what your child's going to, uh, going through, to be compassionate about it and, to sort of look at your role too, and not we're not blaming parents. I think parents get blamed so much for this problem. We're not, bl- no one, it's not your, you know, there's many wonderful families who have kids with these issues. There's many parents who have a lot of problems and their kids turn out fine. So it just depends, you know, but um, so it helps to have your, you know, parents sit back and kind of look at what's going on. And, and so that's the one piece. And then the so foundation of craft, I'll just zip to that really quick, is really noticing what your child is doing well. As, and so when, parent, when children or young people are using sep, substances, all parents can really see usually is 
you know, the drug use or the alcohol use and all the bad things that are happening. Maybe you're getting into legal issues. I mean, it's just, you know, or you're getting kicked out of school or whatever's going on. It's all this negativity. So within that, we want to say, yes, there is the negative part of it, but also look at what your child's doing well. There might be some things that you're not seeing. And, to, and when they do make some small changes, even baby steps to notice them, to appreciate them, to acknowledge them, that kind of thing. So that your child feels like I can do something right. You know, I can do something in the world I can do right. And then that is coupled with allowing for natural consequences, letting your child feel the consequences of their use. Don't jump in and fix everything for them. Um, they're not going to change if there's no reason to, you know, if everything's fixed and nothing, life goes on no matter what they do, then there's no reason to change. So it helps. Both of those are really helpful. Um, as far as, as looking, and then there's some real clear communication strategies, which I can go into that too, of how to talk to your children and, um, or a family member, that kind of thing. So that's, can, can you give us a, a, a typical example? Because, uh, I, I, I deal, um, I'm an interventionist. I'm also a, a criminal defense attorney. I've been doing that for 26 years and I've been intervening with people's substance use disorder for 15 years since I, I got myself or I was lucky enough to be able to get sober uh, myself. And I have um, been in many, many situations uh, where we have family in complete and utter chaos. Um, and so can you, and, and a lot of that, I, I always chalk it up to is just fear. And I, I usually have a, have a mother who has a million questions and wants a million specific answers and wants to know it right now. And then I usually have a reticent dad who's um, trying to be stoic. I don't know if this, this sounds familiar to trying to be stoic. Um, but really internally, I can see that this is, uh, I, I could see that this is a person in crisis and, and it's, and it's a father who's falling apart in internally. And maybe it's that sort of, um, that that structure that we men build around ourselves that we we sort of pretend that we have it all uh, together maybe that's part of the problem and and and, and maybe uh, you can enlighten us about some some examples where um, you've had a situation like that where it's complete chaos and you've been able to um, I guess take the the temperature of the room down or a lot of the the the, the high pressure down by explaining to people that. You know, it because it is a it, it's it's a moment of life and death, especially with the amount of fentanyl that's that's out there these days. I um, back in the old days, I would tell people, you know, we can schedule a, an intervention maybe in a week or two. Now, I, I try not to do it less than 24 hours because you could be dead rather quickly. And uh, so if you could give us a, an example or two or, 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 or of a situation where there was a chaotic situation with a family and a, and a, um, a person of care in crisis and how the craft techniques were able to, um, to, uh, to depressurize that, that, that situation. Sure. And I, everything you're saying, I totally agree with it is not, and I'll just say off, off the top, none of this is super easy. I'm not saying, you know, this is just a simple process. Um, I wish I've heard, had so many parents say, is there a recipe are there certain words we can say? And, you know, it's all small in increments of change. But yes, I mean, I've had a family who, you know, their child was in and out of treatment. They just continued to relapse. 
every time uh, this happened, the father would start screaming. You know, they'd just be in these huge family fights and uh, he would, they would ask him to leave the home and then he'd come back. And it was just being this con continual revolving door. So when they looked into craft and we talked about craft and some of those ideas, it was a way to just sort of step back first and say, okay, what's going on for him? So they understood that, you know, what was sort of the situation and to realize that what you want to do is try to come to the problem calmly. Like, first of all, don't, don't talk to your child when they're high, when they're drunk, when yeah. you're, when yeah. you're emotional, yeah. wait, you know, if they come in late and they're, you know, out of control, you know, just see if you can get them to bed and then go to sleep and then deal with it in the morning. The other thing too that we talk about a lot is is planning out ahead of time. At, at the beginning, it's tough because you just all of a sudden this kind of a behavior up, up, appears. But as time goes on, you start to see some kind of a pattern. I mean, it is erratic, you know, as we know, and it's not always predictable. But you kind of get a sense of what's going on. So I think it helps to plan ahead. And so this mom, you know, started planning ahead, started talking to her child more calmly. The dad started to calm down. Um, they noticed if he did anything that was even the remote smallest little positive thing they would notice it and it made him feel like okay i can do something right because even though our kids can get pretty belligerent and you know they don't acknowledge how much pain and they're causing themselves and everybody else you know they don't feel good inside you know they, they're not feeling good about what they're doing so it helps to just acknowledge any little thing that they're doing and then Talking to them, you know, a couple techniques for communication or asking open-ended questions, like trying not to drill them, you know, did you drink last night? Did you smoke last night? But just asking more open-ended questions. How did you manage things last night? Or how did it go for you? That kind of thing. Um, I also like the one of like, how can I help? So letting your child sometimes step up and be the one to let you know what you can, you know, what as a parent you can do to help within your parameters. I mean, there's certain things you're not going to support. Um, of course. So this family started to do some of those kind of things. Um, another one is really asking your child too. Can I have a conversation with you? A lot of times as parents, we come in and this is, you know, we start yelling or this is what we want to talk about. Yeah. Or we're talking about this right now, that kind of thing. I love this approach of asking your child, can we have a conversation? Or I have a question I want to ask you and let them say, yes, this is a good time or no, it's not a good time. Being a little respectful. It's like knocking on your kid's door if they're living at home. A lot of these kids aren't living at home. I can talk about that a little bit too. But um, so if your child is living at home, son or daughter, you know, asking them brief, try to be brief, you know, don't give the whole laundry list of everything that's going wrong or if you have a suggestion or whatever it is. And then you kind of follow up. Does that make sense? Do you have a question? I love that one because it gives, you know, the child really a chance to say, oh, you know, they're asking, ask, you know, I'm getting a little um, respect or they care if it's the right time. Because the problem is when we talk through our kids, when our kids are yelling, we're yelling, we're upset, they're upset. You don't get anywhere. You know, a lot of times, you know, parents are just talking right through their children's anger and their sh the kids are shutting down and the parents just keep talking. And it doesn't help because no one's listening or it can escalate. You know, I've had issues where there's, you know, even in this family too, I think the father and the son were in a physical, you know, fist fight type thing. I mean, it can get out of hand. And so yeah. as parents, you want to be the calm one. You want your, it's your role to be the, the leader, the role to keep the temperature down. Um, I think the thing that's, that helps too with craft is that, you know, for parents, they're in a lot of pain. You know, we, as you mentioned, we've got fentanyl, we've got kids, you know, we're losing children, we're losing young people. Um, 
So to know that you're in a lot of pain, but to also be willing to, you know, I think the temptation is to just isolate and shut down and you don't talk to any family members, or you stay away from people. Um, some people will go to meetings, but some people won't. So we want to encourage people to stay connected, find family that you can trust, friends and family that you can trust so that you're not isolated and just feeling um, like, because it, it just adds to the stress of it. So, yeah, so that family actually, and, and the son had, the son had legal issues too, and he was dealing with that, but they really put these craft tools into practice and he's doing great now. I mean, it took a while. It wasn't overnight. Um, that's the other thing I wanted to say too. You know, you'll use a certain, like the positive reinforcement or one of these other techniques. It doesn't mean that the next time your child's always just going to follow along the path that you want them to. There's going to be, as you know, steps forward and steps back. You know, there's going to be times like if they come home sober one night and you compliment them, doesn't mean they're going to come home sober every single night. But you want to start a pattern of noticing and letting them know that there, you know, there's some positives uh, that don't rotate around substance use. So, yeah. So, and I've seen, you know, parents... I had a six a family with a real quick a family with a sixteen year old. She was ready to kick the kid out of the house. I'm like, you can't, you can't do that. You know, I just really am against. You know, that's those kids are too young for any of that kind of thing. But when as she learned more, she realized he was doing things. You know, school wasn't horrible. I mean, he wasn't getting A's, but he wasn't completely flunking out. Helping his siblings, doing some chores, and at the end, she was like, okay, yeah, I can work with him now. Getting him a counselor. She, you know, we talked about that. He needed to get some counselor. He needed some help. So, yeah, definitely seen families turn around with this approach. Uh, what, what age does, um, or, or let me ask you an open question. Uh, is there sort of um, an age where, where within parameters that you work with? So I know that you, you had a 16-year-old. Does it end with, you know, when they're 40 or when they're 30? Because right now I have a 36-year-old with, um, with very, very tight family. And with a mom and a dad, I won't, well, uh, the term that, that's used in the vernacular is sort of helicopter parents that mm -hmm. have been around for a very long time and have been sort of stewarding this man or this young man through his, through his uh, youth. And now he's 36 years old. And I have uh, a, and he's in, and I had brought him down to a facility uh, last month. And we have uh, a lot of questions uh, from his mother about what happens next. And so um, how do you um, counsel family members, moms, dads, about that, that very delicate balance of, of being overly involved and not involved enough? Right. And that's a big question, and I think it's a it's something that parents face all the time. You know, you're, you're walking a tightrope sometimes, you know, of how... One of the things that um, the craft and, and the invitation change, they so just try to stay away from the word enabling and codependence just because they feel like so many parents have already, they feel bad enough about themselves. I mean, they're, you know, they're not, it's not their fault. And that's most of the time. I mean, I, I would say I've never really met a parent that I could say, yeah, this, you caused this. I have not seen that yet. Um, and I think most people do, like I said, do the best they can. So, but the idea is you don't want to label people so much. But again, um, I like the idea of um, asking yourself every time, and it is a judgment call every time. Am I supporting my child's recovery or am I supporting his continued use? So, 
you want to support things that will help him continue on and, 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 you know, make these changes and, and continue to, uh, pro progress. So I think too, with a child that's in treatment, I mean, first of all, it's great that he's going to treatment. That's something that you can look at right there. Um, you, I, I think also though, children do need to be accountable. I have parents too, I, I've talked to, and it's like, they're paying for every single thing that the child, you know, they have a car that's paid for. I mean, the apartments, you know, it's like, okay, why, why, why would this child change? There's no reason to. So I hear what you're saying. I think children need to be accountable. I think, or, you know, anyone with a substance use, once you realize that you have a substance use issue, you need to manage it. You need to be accountable for it. So parents can be support systems. You could sit down and you know, once the child's ready to move out and go from there, you could brainstorm how can we, you know, let's brainstorm some ways that we can help you have your child be part of that. We'll support this. Maybe we can't do that, but you know, and those kind of things. And you can, you know, I think sometimes when people are first starting out, maybe they're help getting parents to help them maybe with a month or two of rent, but then you can slowly sort of taper that off, that kind of thing. Um, I agree. I don't think it's helpful to have just you know, continued situation where parents are doing everything, paying for everything, fixing every problem that, that doesn't help. So for someone in treatment, I mean, grant, I think crafts great for, or invitation change. The groups are great because you really learn. It helps to have, uh, listen to other parents. It helps to um, think about the pain that you're in. And also self-compassion is another big part of it. We, yeah, parents, yeah. they struggle. So, you know, having compassion for yourself, this is really hard. And we, nobody's saying it's not, it's a really hard situation, but just looking at what can I do to support my child and really making sure that there's not things that I'm doing that are helping him stay stuck, you know, stay in that set cycle of, of substance use. Um, and they're, a lot of times there does need to be changes. It's hard, I think, too, when, when young people come home, if that's what they're going to do, come home too soon. And then you've, and I don't know if you see this too, but then you've got the friends right there and it's just so oh, yeah. easy to fall right back into it again. So yeah. there's decisions like that that can be made that it might be painful to have your child away for a while, but it might be the best thing to do to have them. Like my daughter was eight hours away for six years. I mean, you know, she worked and she progress on her life, but she didn't come home. And I think she said, if I'd been home right away, I'm sure I probably would have relapsed. So, you know, there's different choices you can make, but I think things like that can be helpful to just sort of think things through a little bit. Yeah. We, um, uh, around here, we, we, we like to, uh, we like to take people, uh, after our interventions sort of out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of times we get on planes, uh, with our clients, because uh, especially with young people, they're 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 so dependent on their on, on their their social group, because you know after all they don't have a lot of experience with traveling around and meeting new people. So most of the time, I I will take a lot of my clients out of state because of that specific reason of um, getting them away from their comfort zone and getting them away from that group of friends. And what I have found, especially with with young people, is um, I take a lot of them to Florida. And uh, I have a lot of moms who say, you know, isn't it, uh, isn't there a lot of drugs in Florida? And I said, well, you know, there's drugs everywhere. They're ubiquitous. Uh, but what there happens to be in Florida is a lot of treatment centers. And because there's a lot of treatment centers, there's a lot of young people in recovery down there. And so they can start a whole new um, social network of, of young sober people rather than the, the group that they left behind up in, you know, Connecticut in the Northeast, uh, where it's, it's cold and dark. 
Um, and so uh, for for um, for that specific reason, I, I like to bring a lot of people down uh, to to Florida to a to a new community. Um, in and I, I'm sure you've seen this as well. Uh, I, a lot of times, uh, what I will get in a in a family situation is um, not only do you have both parents who are who are very afraid. Sometimes we get parents who want to deal with this addiction and this problem in the family in completely different ways. Mom would like to be more compassionate. Mom would like to understand the issue. But a lot of times I, I deal with dad who is, nope, I need to spank this issue away. And in situations like that, what, what um, recommendations uh, would you give uh, in a situation where you have two parents who have very differing ideas about how to deal with this addiction. That happens a lot. I totally, I totally agree with you. It's, um, and it's hard because parent, you know, even if you come to parenting, your children are doing well, you're bringing in from into your parenting, your own childhood experiences and what you were, you know, how you were raised and that kind of thing. And then when the substance use hits, it's, it's hard. Um, and I've had parents too, where moms are super compassionate. The dad's more, you know, Hardcore, And then I've had the opposite, too, where the mom's trying to be, you know, let's set some boundaries here and the dad's, you know, doing it. So what we say and in um, the part uh, the Center for Motivation and Change has a 20 minute guide for parents, too. And in that and I talk about that in my book as well, but a collaboration of working with your with your spouse or partner or the other your, your child's parent um, trying to see where you can meet in the middle and maybe try one thing you could do is you know accept the fact that we're coming at this in different ways and is there one thing that we could agree on that we could try even if you try it for a week let's just try this approach for a week and then you know we'll give your other you know another approach you brought bring in something we'll try that for a week something like that or a month or whatever it is you want to do but try to come and see what you could agree on and go from there one of the things that I think is is very difficult is when kids are starting to play one against the other. And I see that yeah. a lot where, yeah. you know, I have one mom that is in one of my groups and she's, oh, he always calls, he doesn't call me, he calls his dad because he knows his dad, you know, he can always. And, um, yeah. and the moms usually are the ones, I think too, I don't know if you have this too, but usually the moms for me are the ones that reach out. I mean, 99% of it are moms. And then when the dads reach out, it's great because I've had a few dads that reach and they're so involved and it's really wonderful because they do care and they want those conversations, that kind of thing too. But I don't know. I kind of have a sense sometimes with dads that it's just so painful and, and I, you know, you would know this better than me, but you know, I think dads feel like I can't fix this. And so it, it's just painful. And I, you know, they have a hard time sometimes with feelings and I, how can I just get this to go away? Cause I can't fix it. And I, I, I feel like that's my role as father of this family that I need to be able to fix things and, you know, get this family back on track. And when substance use hits, it's really hard cause they can't. So definitely collaborating with the partner and again trying and it, again it's not super easy but just agreeing let's we have we're coming from different places we acknowledge that what can we do what can we agree on for a period of time and and try different approaches the one thing that i think is key though is you cannot like i had a parent one time who dad said okay this child's not using the car which the child was was using substances and so i agree you know we're, we're, we don't need to be driving um but then the dad was gone on a business trip for a while. And the next thing you know, the mom caved and gave the kid the car. And that was just an explosion. You know, stuff like that is not good. You really have to respect each other's, you know, agree on boundaries together. Um, the one thing we do say, too, is figure out boundaries. And you don't have to 
do the most harsh harshest boundary first if um, but agree on what you want to impose and then both of you have to be sure you're going to follow through it's just not okay to have a boundary we're you know we're going to do this we're going to do that and then the they start um you know breaking down and and, and caving in that's not helpful the, the child gets confused and they feel like they can walk all over the parents then now do um w w within the craft framework both of the parents uh enter counseling as well well, the craft is, yeah, it could be a counseling program. It just depends. I mean, therapists use counselors. Uh, I mean, excuse me, therapists use craft. And yes, it could be both parents. It could be just however they want to do it. There's no set. It started really with Dr. Myers way back um, several decades ago. And he really was looking at uh, the wives. He started with, you know, men that had alcohol issues. And he realized we have a whole asset here with these wives that we can start working with the wives and training them on how they can work with their husbands, talking to them differently, being, you know, you know, looking at the problem in a little bit different way. And so that's how it started. And then really, I think the Center for Motivation Change is the one that came in and sort of took it then more to parents. I mean, they do husbands and wives too, but, but parents, you know, really focusing a lot on parents. Because I think with this fentanyl and all that's going on, a lot of families are seeing young people. So it's parents that are really... Um, struggling but I mean spouses you know so it can be anyone and then we do groups as well like for example in ours it would be a group and fathers and I mean I love it when parents come together I encourage my groups to have parents that come together unfortunately that doesn't happen very often it's usually the moms that come you know um, yeah. but I would love to see the dads and I tell them every time please invite your you know uh, your spouse or your partner your child's father whoever you know whoever to come because I, I think it's helpful to have the dads involved. Um, be, and, and, the, and the reason is, is, is because if you're approaching this um, disease uh, mm -hmm. that is that has infected the child and, and you're coming at it from the perspective that, you know, it's we need to treat this disease holistically because this this substance abuse abuse didn't happen um, on its own. In, in other words, that that the overuse uh, had something to do with some sort of stressor that was happening um, continuously in the child's life. Uh, for in my own personal view, I mean, I I, I have two siblings, and and both of uh, both of my siblings and myself, we all suffered from uh, from some sort of of addiction. Uh, I was a I was an alcoholic. Uh, my my little sister was an alcoholic. Uh, got we both got sober and then she ended up unfortunately uh, getting injured and hooked on uh, opiates mm. uh, and later died of, of an overdose uh, based on that and then I had another sister uh, who manifested her her stress by uh, overeating and uh, and and that is something that I've seen uh, more and more at least in, in my practice is, is sugar abuse in uh, people using sugar for the same reason that they would use cocaine or any other chemical and it's to, to get a dopamine rush for i'd like to call it the um the dopamine desert that i grew up in in my in my house and it was um i won't say it was a house of horrors but it was it was uh i i have my own uh psychiatrist friend of mine who who he thinks it's remarkable how um how well i've performed with the amount of cortisol that has been in my brain uh, for many, many years. Um, so from, from that perspective, I, I can see how, how families can, can affect their children 
and how parents can affect their children. Um, do you think that it's important for mom and dad to work on on that on their personal relationship in in order to even well in, in order to to make sure that they don't continue to sort of trigger or facilitate the the substance use disorder in their child? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's very important. I mean, I think that you want to, you know, you want to look at the problem, but also you want to look at what you're bringing to the table. I mean, if you're in your situation that, you know, that was very difficult. I had two older brothers. My dad was married before he married my mom and his first wife was, uh, had a very difficult, uh, strong alcohol problem. And I know my two older brothers really, I mean, to this day, I still, you know, they're both fine. Luckily they never went down that road, but my one brother, especially, it always comes out, you know, he always brings up and talks about, and I can tell it's still, and he's in his eight, you know, early eighties now. And he's like, they're quite a bit older than me, but yeah. And it still comes out for him. And so, you know, it affects everyone, but yes, I think parents need to do their work. They need to make sure the relationship, I mean, sometimes kids get stressed because the marriage is not going well, or, you know, parents are fighting all the time or that kind of thing. So you need to, I absolutely feel like parents need to, um, you know, I, as I said, have compassion for themselves, but also look at themselves and look at what what's going on here. What are the dynamics in the family? What role is everybody playing? Um, how do the siblings come in? I mean, I had one family who I felt a little bit like there's four kids and this kid was seemed to be a little bit singled out, even by the siblings. And, and I, you know, we talked about doing some work on that. How can you look at that, look at him a little bit differently and, and try to include him in a different way and, and not sort of put kids in, sometimes kids, I think, get put in a box in some ways, you know, and then they can't quite get out of there. But um, yes, I totally agree with you. Um, I think uh, that parents have to be the role model, first of all. And when you don't have parents that are a healthy role model, it, like, and, and it, just the situation you described, it's, how, it's very difficult to expect your child to be healthy and make good choices when they're seeing mom and dad or not. And that's one of the, you know, risk factors, as I'm sure you know, is, is that early use environment, you know, mm. you're, you're seeing it all around you and that kind right. of thing. Um, so yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Do you, do you, um, especially with younger kids and, and speaking about the environment, um, uh, I, I've read a lot about, addiction obviously and uh there's always the topic that comes up of of the three ends and which is nature nurture and neighborhood mm -hmm. uh in other words if you if you grow up in a in a if you grow up and your parents or your grandparents or whatnot have had um alcoholism in your past you could be genetically predisposed to it if you grow up in a neighborhood where people use drugs and or alcohol to cope with problems. And if there's alcohol and drugs all over the place, you're more likely to um, suffer from substance use disorder. And then the most important one for me, me being an Irish person, is um, whether or not your family has used alcohol and or drugs, particularly alcohol, to deal with all of life's uh, trials and tribulations. Right. And so do you, do you counsel, um, you know, with, because it's difficult in, in a situation where you have like a 16, 17 year old kid in a family unit that drinks alcohol and all of a sudden you're telling family uh you're gonna have to curtail your drinking um do, do you have any advice for for families um in situations where they, they might be making some changes in their lives as well 
Yes, and I know, I mean, I haven't really had any parents where I really realized, oh, you know, we've got a really serious problem with you right now, you know, that I could pick up. But then I'm, again, a lot of my, call, you know, you don't know everything about what's going on. But yes, and I, one of the things when I actually put my child, my older son did his intervention, we were told, and it was, it's kind of interesting, we were told, stop, you know, we were so, social drink, have a glass of wine here and there. They said, stop drinking for three months, because then you could look at your relationship with alcohol. So I thought, great, that's a great idea. It was sort of interesting to see p different people's reactions to that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> take, take that. I'm definitely to get that death scare. Like, what? What? <laughs> no. You have to so, what? <laughs> I know. And why? Um, but I think that, you know, I agree. I thought that was excellent. And I, and I do relay that to parents. I think it's really good to, you know, if you're, if this is what the situation is and it's, uh, to, you know, stop yourself and, and take a look at it. And then also to when you're like, if your child's coming home from from treatment, I mean, that's a whole issue too. Don't, let's not have alcohol sitting around the house where it's easy for them to up to, you know, you, you know, you need to stop or get rid of it or put it away or hide it or something and, and just take a break. And I think it's important too, for when they come home, I remember when my daughter came home early. I think it's really important, even if you're having a holiday and some people are, still having a glass of wine, but at least somebody, you know, it usually was me, but someone in the family and hopefully more than just one don't, you know, you don't drink either. I mean, we just take all, take a break for a while. And, you know, so that, that, um, they don't feel alone. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult for those first few weeks, months to just feel like, you know, you're kind of embarrassed or whatever, not embarrassed, but you know, they're, they're new with this and it's difficult. They're just kind of have their training wheels on. So, uh, yeah, I I think parents should look at themselves. I think they should think about the. I definitely think parents should need to look at the substance uses because if you if the parent doesn't look at it, then you can't really expect the kids to. I mean, it's just it's 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 difficult, you know. It's depending on the age, but still, you know, it's 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 hard. It makes it just more difficult, and it's not healthy for anybody. Is there any are, are is there any different approach that is is uh, taken within craft based on uh, what? what substance is abused in other words if you have alcohol if you have stimulants or if you have opiates are, are there any different modalities that you use i don't think there really is i mean um i think the whole idea on craft is it's the psychology of change how do you make someone change their life and so i've not really seen anything where if it's alcohol you do this thing you know i mean there are um Therapies, I think I'm a coach, so I'm not a therapist, but a therapist might get into that a little more, you know, specifically on a certain um, substance. Uh, they probably do. In, in my groups, we pretty much are looking at, here are the concepts. How can I work with my child to change uh, my young person, my son or daughter? Um, and it's really, it, it really is. It's basically the psychology of change. How can you motivate someone? How can you influence and help them motivate themselves really too, to want to change is really where we're headed here is we're trying to get the, the young person to feel that inner motivation to want to change themselves. And so that's really what craft's about um, more than the individual. Um, but like I said, I, I would think in therapy, they probably do a little bit more of that. Because in in um, in the intervention space, uh, with the with the um, with the the widespread uh, distribution of fentanyl in in every drug, uh, it, it really has become a time is of the essence when it comes to because when I I used to ask parents you know what is it that he's he's taking and if it was opiates time was always of the essence as you know because they could overdose in a second. 
Um, and that's what had happened to my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with, with, with stimulants, it, there, there was sort of time to prepare and, but, and it was a little bit different. And then in alcohol, you, you probably had a little bit longer cause you know, you're not going to die of cirrhosis for a, a long time. I mean, albeit that you don't, you don't go dr- drive in a car, but the immediacy really, really isn't there. However, uh, I, I have had, uh, so many kids relapse in the past three years over coronavirus and whatnot and end up dead, uh, from fentanyl. And they were using stimulants. They were using powder cocaine. Mm-hmm. And these, these are people who are not opiate addicts. And there is a distinct difference between, you know, the, those two types of, of, of addictions. Um, it's seeking comfort for totally different things. Uh, one is, is, is anxiety and, and the other one is depression, really. Um, so the, in, in the, in the intervention space, there, there is a, a, a different time, time period, I guess, or, 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 or clock that we have, uh, when it comes, uh, to, to stimulants and, and with alcohol. Um, but, uh, I, with, with young people, I, I guess it would be much more important for, for the family itself to deal with, or, or to begin asking questions of themselves about their own substance use and the substance that I'll really be talking about would be alcohol, uh, alcohol in the family. Because, you know, when I came back from rehab, uh, I, you know, I don't, I was 36 years old. My parents were no longer my parents. And I had to explain that to them. I'm like, you're my mom and my dad. You always will be, but I'm not your child and you're not my parents anymore. Um, and I had to, I, I had to do I had to lay the foundation of, of where our relationship was going to, to, to begin again. Um, and, but I didn't have to move back into their house. So I would tell them, you know, I would love to come for dinner. And my mom would say, can you come for dinner? I'd say, yeah, I'd love to come for dinner. And she'd say, okay, but can I drink? And I would say, well, it would make me a lot more comfortable going to your house and having dinner if nobody was drinking and then my mother would say but i really want to have a drink and i'd say well you can have the drink you just can't have me and the drink and so my mother would say well you're being a jerk to me <laughs> so, <laughs> so in, in yes really, really, uh, essentially i wish i had i wish i had you 15 years ago <laughs> but um and the same thing happened uh with my dad uh my father and i uh, didn't talk for the last 10 years of his life mm. because uh, my dad, for some reason, always wanted to talk to me when he was one glass of wine into his evening. He really needed to reach out to me and talk to me and tell me all of the stories. And I would just say, if you could do me a favor and just call me an hour before you're starting to drink mm-hmm. rather than after, that would be great. To which I was told I, I'm a no good jerk because of that. And yeah, so um, we, we had, we, we, yeah, it is, it that's, is difficult. That's, tough. that's really tough. And so um, what I, 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 I think that you're doing is, is uh, I think you're, you're helping um, parents correct behavior like that, but really um, ending a lot of generational pain and a lot of generational addiction and, and generational trauma. Um, and so can, can you, do you have any examples of, uh, of sort of long-term recovery of not only a person of care and a young person, but also, uh, how, how a family transformed, 
through through craft and, and through your assistance? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, there are many families who, you know, I, I'm trying to think of one necessarily right now that, yeah, they they had a child who they had sent out. Uh, she used to call it he went camping for long periods of time because they had kicked him out of the house. And they finally went, you know, and they were looking at themselves and what was going on with them. I don't know that they were had a drinking problem. And I, I will be honest, Ron, I don't know that I've had a family where I would say for sure they had a drinking problem. I mean, like I said, I know that that's very, you know, that's a common thing. I mean, I'm not saying it's or not. I don't know if it's a common thing, but in some families it happens. Um, so I haven't felt like I've had to step up and say, you know, we need to really work on your situation first. What I do think is parents have to look at how they're handling their kids and and think about how um, what their response is and that kind of thing. But this mom went and got her child and, and brought him home and, and they all started working on, on different aspects of the problem and how they could uh, work together and she could, you know, calm, kind of calm everybody down and what their boundaries were. I mean, they really needed to work on how to set some clear boundaries and to follow through and that kind of thing. Um, but yes, I totally agree. And I, and I just want to say one thing we do, if you do have, as you said, the fentanyl and the opioid is, is very stressful and we do recommend, you know, I'm, like I said, we run groups. If there's an emergency, definitely reach out to somebody like yourself, an interventionist. Uh, if you have an emergency situation where you need to, you know, it's life or death, then yes, definitely reach out to somebody. I'm not sure I'm not an interventionist. So I'm not in that role, but, um, Definitely, that's an important thing. And uh, I, I totally agree that families, a lot of times you just need to look at the whole structure. And I will say one of the hardest things for me, honestly, is when I see the dads. Uh, and, and again, first of all, let me say there's many wonderful dads out there. But I do see a number of absent dads who are not there, who aren't involved. And I think, you know, through divorce or they have their own substance use or whatever, um, especially for sons, it's just painful, you know, very painful. Um, so they, you know, maybe don't see their dad anymore. Or their dad's remarried and moved on. I mean, I see some of that and it, it's really hard and you can see why this, and I think it, like I said, I've read that it affects sons, you know, it affects both sons and daughters, but I think it affects sons even more strongly than daughters. So those are the kind of things, but it's hard. Cause I, again, I'm really working with parents uh, trying to promote this change, you know, motivate your child to change. But I do always recommend if I feel like there's any issues that they go to therapy. I think a th this is when a therapist really would probably need to come in and work with them yeah. and dig into these real um, difficult issues, you know, and that, that have gone back maybe generations and really try to start changing things around. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you uh, in, in my own personal experience that that uh, that dads tend to have a, a particular, uh, issue with their own sons. And I have four daughters and, um, I, uh, I treat them. Do I treat them differently than, than my son? Probably not, but do I, it's sort of an expectation. You know, I, I expect more out of the boy for just some things. Yeah. Um, then I, and, and, and my wife would tell me that, that I coddle. Or I just, yeah, I coddle them. I, I, I love them to death. And they're so pretty. So I just, <laughs> so I'm softer with them right. than I, than I am with the lab. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, and my wife, you know, every once in a while, she'll say, why? And I say, 
because he can break more things than they can. (laughs) 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 And she says, what? And I said, yeah. And, And I'm, and I'm like, when they were, when they were, you know, in their, in prior to about like 13 or 14, my, my, my sons and my daughters were completely the opposite where my son from zero to, to 12 or 13 was a, a complete basket case. He would bump into things. He would smash into walls. He cut his head open. He was at the hospital more. He just was not together. And my daughters, every one of them was structured. The room was clean. Everything was fine. and never went to the hospital. And then the teenage years came and then everything flipped. And then all of a sudden I wasn't all that worried about my, my boy, but I'm now I'm really worried about my daughters because now other men think that they're cute and pretty too. And that was my problem with my daughters. But I, I, I do agree with you that, that with sons and dads, um, there is, there's a, a different, there's a different dynamic. And I, and I've seen that with, with my, um, I've seen that with my own dad, and I also saw that uh, when I, in my own practice that I have, you know, mom's approach is a, is a heck of a lot different from from dads. And dads, especially with their boy, they really seem to want to take out that stick. Mm-hmm. And mom, boys and girls, it doesn't matter. It's right. carrot, 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 yeah. carrot, carrot, <laughs> carrot. Please, I'll give you candy. Please, I'll give you candy. And that, and and dur- and I try to explain to them is is you know when they were growing up, you might have been a little bit too much carrot and a, and a little bit too less stick. Mm-hmm. However, right now is not the time to come down with the hammer and start pounding people. So, in in your practice, do you have any experiences like that? Sure, where the the dads are coming down harder yeah absolutely no that's very common and um and so i kind of say you know there's there's a happy medium here you know we don't want to we don't want to be a cheerleader for just like oh you're wonderful no matter what you do and then the other thing is you don't want to be so harsh that you know you're not really understanding so i think it's really helpful and i think that and the dads that have gone through the program actually have really liked it which has been nice you know it's it's Again, the, it's the center. I did not write this, but it's the foundation for change and this invitation to change group. And when they go, through, it's a twelve-week program that we do. And when they go through it, you know, they they really, enjoy, I think they really get something out of it. They realize. Um, and actually, it was funny because I did have one parent just recently. She said their therapist said the dad was going to Alan and was, and which was fine, but there's that kind of uh, tough love type of an approach, you know, detach. And so their part of the therapy was he had to come, she had to go to his program, but he, which is, I think is actually really good. And she, and he had to come to the invitation to change. And I'm not saying that we're just all carrot at all. I think it's a happy medium, happy yep, balance. Yep. You know, we want to encourage, but we also want to hold our kids responsible. And when you plan ahead and sort of think about these things, I think that's one of the key things that I've really learned then you're calmer. You know, you can, you can give your boundaries. You can you can say these are the, but you're not screaming and hysterical because you've thought about it before. You're, you know, keep trying to just keep, keep things under control a little bit. Um, but it helps to, for parents to just think about all of this stuff before the, the incidents happen as much as you can. I mean, you know, it's, it's not always predictable as you know, things happen, but yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's very helpful to, to, work with both of them. And again, I've had, I've had parents who, uh, 
I've had moms who really are strict and are so frustrated with the dad, you know, because the dad, you know, they, they, like I said, that one mom, the, the, the son calls the dad and he'll let him do whatever he wants to. And it's, right, it's hard right. on either side, you know, it's not right. okay. It's not okay. You got to work together. So, um, do you, do you, uh, cause we, we have, you know, you normally, normally is that you'll have dad as, as tough love and I want consequences mm -hmm. for this immediately. And then normally it, or uh, unlike most in that situation, yeah. most of the time it's mm -hmm. a mom saying, Oh, don't, don't beat them. Oh, don't mm -hmm. spank them. I mean, and that's what it is. It's like, you know, every once in a while, my five-year-old does something and I just got to get her a little pop on the booty <laughs> and, and, and my wife cringes. Yeah. And I just, and I just say, it's not, it's not hurting. Mm -hmm. It's just saying if, cause I told her, if you do X, Y is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And my, my wife has a lot of trouble with when the child goes and does X that you have to apply Y. And if you don't, that is a, the kid is going to know right. that you are full of beans and there are no consequences. And therefore, if there aren't any consequences, there are no boundaries. There, there, there is no therapy. We haven't really done anything. So how do you get, I'm not saying it's mom or dad, but how do you get, um, uh, easier, softer approach parent to, to, to actually apply those consequences. Are there any right. techniques? Well, yeah, we do, you know, we talk about it a lot. The boundaries, again, you, you have to really be clear again, let your child know as you, as you're doing, let your child know if you do X, you're going to do Y, but then again, you have to follow through. So what we do say is really, it's better to not, I mean, honestly, if you're not going to follow through, then don't set the boundary, be really clear with yourself, what boundaries and everyone can't, you know, sometimes parents have to work up to being a little more, maybe more strict, I guess you would say, but you want to start small if you have to and set things that you know. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is the key here is following through. So whatever you say, I don't say to parents, you need to say this, you need to do this, you need to do. I say, you should do, you know, your child, you know, your child better than I do. I, you know, most of these kids, I really don't even, I've never met them before. It's just the parents I'm working with, but you want to set a boundary that you're clear that you're going to follow through with exactly what you said, because the parent, the child will just think, well, I can just do whatever I want to because I can get away with it. There's no consequence. So the idea is if there's no consequence, there's no reason to change. I mean, that's really the key and the, and allowing the consequences too of letting their child, you know, so say they, sleep over and, and miss their test at school uh, because they can't get up. Well, you don't go solve it for the kid that you send the kid to school and tell them to figure it out with the teacher. I mean, you don't jump in and make sure everything is corrected. Um, we deal with that with legal issues. Again, this is a parent's choice. Some parents run in and bail their kids out immediately. Others feel like, uh, you know, and we sort of say, you know, if you're going to go handle every, and you know, that this is your area, but you know, it's a parent's choice, but if you're always solving everything for your child, there's no there's no way reason for them to learn. And one of the you know phrases they use is the world can can be the teacher. Let the world be your child's teacher, and it helps. All these things are very important to think through, and um, you want to think about what's going to motivate your child to want to change. And when they feel the negative consequences, that's going to be a motivator for them to think, okay, maybe this isn't so good. But it's difficult for parents, especially moms, probably for them to see their children in pain, even if their child's 30 or 35 or, 40, you know, I mean, no matter what the age, it's hard. It's hard to watch them, 
struggle and not say, well, you know, you know, but the only other thing we do say is this, keep safety in mind. If you think there's something where your child's really going to be unsafe, then, you know, maybe rethink that consequence, but, or, you know, see what you can do to minimize it a little bit. But for the most part, you want to really set clear boundaries and let the consequences happen. Um, so as uh, I really want to thank you very much for being on the program. And um, I always like to to end these with with some practical advice. So if if um, if there's a if there's a parent out there listening, and uh, they have a child who uh, they know is abusing uh, alcohol and or drugs, um, what would you what kind of advice would you give them uh, to to begin to uh, to deal with that for the first time? So we'll, we'll assume that this is somebody who's never had any experience with this. And all of a sudden they go into their child's room and they, they open up that bag and they, they find, and this has happened to me a lot in my career, uh, and they find a, a bag full of heroin. Right. Well, exactly. And, happened. Uh, what do you do now? Right. I should say that exactly happened with me. I didn't find heroin, but I went in my child's backpack and there's the yeah. drugs. So I know that whole thing. So yeah, my advice would be to just reach out bring a professional in as quickly as you can. It's not, this is really a problem that I don't suggest parents try to solve on their own. So you could bring a, a if it's a teen, you know, you can bring a school psychologist, a psychologist in, a therapist, counselor, that kind of thing. I would also look at groups. I think groups can be helpful. There's um, Al-Anon, Smart Recovery, Invitation Change are three of the main groups. Peer support can be really helpful because you're going to hear what other parents have to say and you're going to learn from them. Um, and then I also think as time goes on, I like to call it kind of a patchwork. I picked this up from somebody else, but a patchwork approach. So picking out, like from the Al-Anon meeting, you might pick out certain things. From the invitation change approach, you might pick out certain things in smart recovery or whatever you're doing or from the therapist. So it helps, I think, to kind of create your own uh, approach, your own recovery approach for your child on what makes sense for your family. But there's lots of resources out there. If you go to the Foundation for Change site, they have videos, they have books, they have, you know, my book's available, um, but they have Beyond Addiction and some other books out there that are helpful. Um, Lots of trainings. They have, I would highly recommend anyone get a hold of the Foundation for Change too because they have Monday trainings at lunch with psychologists. I mean, there are lots of different things. Cost is minimal for many of these things. They're not that expensive. Um, but then getting a family, I, I think for, for people with teens, especially family coaching can be really helpful. All three of you go where the family goes. I think it's really helpful. So everybody's looking at their role and we're not setting the person with the, addiction or substance issue over here and everyone else is over here and doesn't have any problems. You need to bring everyone together and we all need to look at what's going on in the family. Why is this happening and what can you do to, to help, you know, solve the problem and get things on a better track. And I also would say to parents, no, there's hope. There is hope for your child. Yeah. Many yeah. have recovered. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> and yes, there's tragic stories out there too, but many have recovered. I would say most do figure it out at some point, you know, and, and turn themselves around. So, but it's, tragic. I, 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 I get a lot of people who, and a lot of moms and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll look at the data. Mm -hmm. And they'll go and Google the data. And I try to tell them Googling the data on this stuff is like Googling. I have a spot on my, on my face. 
That is a terrible idea. Don't do that. Don't Google spot on my face. What does it mean? Because it will tell you that you're going to die tomorrow because that's what the Internet does. I tell people all the time, the Internet is there. To, it's designed to excite you one way or the other, negatively or positively. It is designed to excite you and to get your emotions going. So don't Google anything. And um, uh, I, 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 I would like to thank you for being uh, on the program. And I would like to um, uh, encourage everybody to read The Compassionate Antidote. It has been, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. And I was wondering, are, are, do you take personal clients? I do. Well, first of all, thank you, Ryan, for having me. I really appreciate the invitation. Um, and yes, I do. I do. I do groups more right now than I'm doing individual. But I do individual clients. If somebody wants to reach out, feel free. I can walk them through the program We or you know just see where they are and what, what strategies we can use to help them feel better and, um, and try to move them forward. And, and also I have lots of resources. That's the other thing that can be helpful. You know, if you want a strategy session with me, you know, sometimes I have resources of different places you can go or different people, you know, to help you too. So, yes. Because I, I have a, I have a, a number of, um, they happen to be moms, mm -hmm. but I, I have a number of, of, of moms that, um, you know, with, with the dads, I can, just tell them one, two, and three, and they'll go, okay, fine. I'm all, I'm all set with it. But moms seem to need um, a lot more uh, hand-holding and comforting, I guess it is, uh, because they need, they need reassurance is really what it is. Because um, I, do, I, I do like to think that um, my, my relationship with my children is the same as my wife's, but my humility tells me that it's not. And that I did not pass these human beings through my body, and it is not the same thing. And um, and so I I'm very compassionate with with moms in particular, and uh, I I think that I know a lot of them that would benefit from reading your book and also uh, engaging uh, with you one on one in some counseling. So I, if you don't mind, I would I would love to recommend you to uh, some people, one specifically uh, in particular that might call you today. Uh, yeah, so because I have a particular issue right now that is right up your alley. And so um, sure. with all of that, I want to thank you very much for being on the program. And, and I, I hope to keep in contact with you and uh, watching your success. Well, great. Thank you so much, Ryan. I appreciate being invited to your podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Kathy. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.